The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 39 of the Ascent of Board Games. I'm Brian. I'm here with everybody again. We got Joe, we got Jason, we got Mike, we got Frank. We got board games to talk about. Woo! It's very exciting. It's good to be back. Guys, um, there's a bunch of people in my house. I don't know any of these people. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do. We've we've done this for a while now. Mm, 39 episodes. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Plus you before. Plus bonus content. <laughs> Do not think I've ever seen you before in my life. Okay, I knew Jason was hungover. I didn't yeah, know you were. <laughs> if you're doing worse than me, Mike, we're in real trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we are here to talk about games that are blind selection, simultaneous selection. It actually started when we were talking about rock, paper, scissors as a game mechanic and sort of expanded out from there. Games where everybody is choosing a thing at the same time and then everybody reveals and they interact with each other in interesting ways and you make the other players angry by what you've chosen. There's obviously a ton of games doing this and we spent a long time just trying to cut down the list to something manageable. It's still going to be a long one. As usual, we will want to hear input from you about good games that use these features. This actually starts way back in the distant mists of time with the one that sparked the idea for us in the first place. Yeah, I'd say this started with rock, paper, scissors. That's a lie, but I'll tell you about rock, paper, scissors. So basically, it's a very Chinese thing. If you can imagine three symbols, each of which can beat the other. In this case, uh, there's a Japanese term for rock, paper, scissors. The three that are each afraid of. Yeah, the three who are afraid of one another. <laughs> yeah. Which that's is a the much Japanese. more hardcore name in the game. I mean, I, I think that's perfect. That sums it I up. I mean, that's way. that's totally complete. Yeah, but it's a much more of a mouthful. Hey, do you want to play a quick game of the three that are afraid of one? Yeah. And in the original Chinese, it's like lizard, slug, dragonfly or something. Snake, frog, slug. Yeah. And it's like each of them is one finger. So it's like you've got slug, snake, frog. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure the so listeners will appreciate again, that. Again, for our listeners at home. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just giving the rest of the podcast a finger. It's Held fine. up uh, a pinky, a pointer, and a thumb. Just go to the Wikipedia yeah. page. It's easier. <laughs> I, I mean, that would be like the definite origins of rock, paper, scissors. But once we, and we started with rock, paper, scissors for this. But as soon as we started adding blind selection, another game comes up, which is older, called Mora. And this is basically odds and evens played probably by the Greeks and Egyptians. It was definitely and around in Roman times, early Roman times. So we're talking 700,000 BC at least. Whereas uh, rock, paper, 700, scissors. 700, 1000 BC, not 700,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. Not 700. Yeah, you know, it yeah, could be know, that yeah, old. Earlier than human history. There, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in basically in, Even. in Mora or um, the other games, basically you one of you picks odd or even. And both people throw down and show a number of fingers. And whether or not they're odd or even determines who wins. That's mm -hmm. it. It's the most basic, <laughs> simple, simple game. Yeah. Just to bring this back to uh, modern times for any of my uh, viewers watching Squid Game. Squid Game. Game. Oh, I know. As a popular <laughs> in Squid yes. Game. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. Fascinating show. 
But yeah, no, this is great because it's one of those games that at first glance, it seems like it's pretty random and, you know, there's not a lot of strategy to it. But oh my God, is there strategy to it there at the high level championships? The thing is you have to play sequences. Mm -hmm. And so you play a series of games. And the big issue is that people aren't random. And you can play biases. And computers are a lot better at analyzing biases than people. Mm -hmm. And will generally kick the asses of, of a person in rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, there's, there was one that I found out about while researching this that at the University of Tokyo that said it had a 100% success rate against human players. And I'm like, that's not even possible. But apparently what it does is it recognizes your gesture in like a tenth of a second mm. and plays the right thing before <laughs> you finish making the gesture. Huh. <laughs> that feels like cheating. It does. <laughs> it, it exactly <laughs> is. <laughs> Well, and speaking of that, I also know that in the 1930s, right, in Japan. I don't know what you're talking about, so I can't uh, give you th a yes This or no. game was also, for some reason, called Rochambeau. It's actually 1930s in the U.S. Yeah, oh, it, it came to the yeah. U.S. Yeah, it came to the U.S. in the 1930s, and there's a theory that there was a statue of Rochambeau in one of the neighborhoods where it first became popular. Right. And maybe that's where they played it. And that's mm. what, nobody really knows why it's called that right. in some parts. Not functionally the same game. Yeah. But yeah, is starting in the 17th century, the one in Japan used the rock, paper, and scissor symbols that we use today. History is fun. It's fascinating. There's a lot. People have been playing games for a long time. Yep. And then, of course, you can expand that three-factor system oh, out no. into a lot of things. Most well-known, of course, is Rock, Paper, Scissors, Lizard, Spock. Not invented by the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> it was actually designed, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes, by a couple people who were like, you know what? When we play Rock, Paper, Scissors, we know each other so much, we almost always tie. So let's put more variables in it. And of course, you can do any arbitrary, I think it can be any odd number of things where each one has a unique list of things it beats. Well, should we get to some more uh, modern games? Should we jump ahead a couple? Something a, a little bit more complicated is what one you're saying? One or two years? Yeah. yeah, exactly. We will jump ahead to the still ancient time of 1959 and Diplomacy, which we've talked about a few times on the show because love it or hate it, it is a sort of a seminal, Watershed, yeah. Yeah, seminal game. This was, of course, designed by Alan Calhammer and published by Avalon Hill. And the, the core of Diplomacy in a mechanical sense is that everybody is writing down their orders for all their units at the same time, and then they're all revealed and read out at the table in front of everybody. In current days where there's a, either a computer moderator or a person online that is doing it and just sending out all the results, it's certainly faster. But there was something about the old way of playing diplomacy in physical space where you would have people who had made various deals, some of which they were intending to keep, and, you know, each turn you sort of pluck a random sheet of orders from the pile and read out, you know, what is Austria-Hungary doing this turn? And at some point they'll be reading through and someone will read out a certain turn and it's like, you son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the interesting thing about the mechanics here, though, is that there is no losing. Like, what? <laughs> uh, okay, okay. There... <laughs> When you perform an order, mm -hmm. it just happens. Well, no, it's, it depends on, on who else is opposing. Oh, that's right. Because yeah, if somebody it, else opposes you, you bounce off. There is right. no and then there randomness. Is support. Yeah, there is There's absolutely no randomness. So it's it, unlike rock, paper, scissors, where you are selecting a thing and then determining the win state. Mm -hmm. This one, it's you are essentially picking the person 
and then the thing happened, which no, no, is no, a little none, different. No, right? None of the, the moves actually happen until all of the orders have been received. So, you know, right. if, if mine is the first turn that's read out and I have this army moving here, and then Frank's is the last one I read out and he has an army going in the other direction, we'll still bounce. No, maybe I'm not being clear, though, because like in rock, paper, scissors, if I pick scissors and you pick rock, like I have lost. Mm -hmm. Right Mm -hmm. there. That doesn't exist in diplomacy. Give me an example of of that in diplomacy. If I move to a place and you don't, I go there. Right. So you have won. You have selected rock. Your opponent didn't select anything. Right. Therefore, by default, you win. I'm I'm not sure where you're going with this. Yeah, Uh, it's. It's different. Like that is that <laughs> yes. Diplomacy separ- is not rock no, paper no, scissors. No, that <laughs> separates it from the rock paper scissors mechanic that we just talked about. Y'all are all giving me really weird. Looks. I just like, I'm, what I'm, the I'm honestly it's, not it's sure where you're. You're on a selection. very strange journey right now. I'm you're on not. A very strange We're not journey. coming along. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, future Brian just edit all that out. It's fine. <laughs> I think your point is that there's no trumping, uh, like no no specific order trumps. Right. There is one. no there is no three X afraid is of better one. than Y. No, you're absolutely right. There, that, that everything has a value of one. You're absolutely right, right in that. Okay, why did you just say that? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of going down this meandering garden path, <laughs> I think I did. It's about the journey, Joe. <laughs> ah, I see. I see. Viewers at home will agree with me. <laughs> Not a fright, and it's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can make any of you sound completely insane. Well, so of course, obviously. Selective it's editing. a challenge for some exactly. <laughs> So that's a, a real classic of the we're all deciding our things at the same time, and then somebody will be disappointed with the results. Or multiple somebodies. <laughs> yes. Or everyone, because when you play diplomacy, nobody wins. That's the that way. Now we're going back to the nobody wins thing, Mike? <laughs> somebody will win. It's yes, the whole exactly. point of the game. Will they, Joe? Will they? Full point of the game. Or will they find themselves sitting on a throne of skulls, none of their friends speaking with them anymore? They won. <laughs> Let's move on from that before we lose any more friends in this discussion True. to another <laughs> early classic of the genre. This would be a game that was one of my favorites when I was a kid. 1973's Starfleet Battle Manual, retitled as Alien Space Battle Manual because somebody didn't get the rights to do a Star Trek game. And that person would be game scientist one and only Colonel Lou Zoki. This was a kind of a Starfleet Battles kind of game where you've got Star Trek ships and you're flying around. Each of your miniatures or what has this big giant three or four inch card square with a pin that comes up through it with your miniature sitting on top and a compass dial with 360 degrees. Um, And you have a ring and a thread with a knot tied in for three and five feet because your your phasers shoot at five feet tor- proton torpedoes are at three feet <laughs> oh, you're gonna have to say so proton you, torpedoes you end up or people allocating get real your upset energy you. <laughs> simultaneously you end up allocating your energy plotting your move that is you know how many inches you're going forward whether you're turning and you can do a turn because you've just stretch out the line and turn that many degrees and so you do all your moves simultaneously and then your shots are the same way so i'm going to fire a phaser out 200 degrees and you basically stretch it out along the 200-degree mark, and it crosses the silhouette of the opposing ship. It hits. <laughs> so I have a question for you, Frank. After playing this game, did you get a newfound appreciation for why, when we're watching a Star Trek episode, how they somehow miss each other when they're not going very fast? And they're like, oh, like yeah. point blank range. <laughs> like, 
fire all phasers. Like, how did you miss? <laughs> it's, just, it's right there. Totally. And yeah. And if you're really close, it's easy to hit. If you're really far away, you're just, you know, a couple degrees off and you're missing. So it does have a, it has the right feel, but it's capricious. I mean, the Tholians have um, <laughs> little strings and you have to stretch out yarn across the battlefield. You if anyone crosses. build a web. Yes, you That's actually build amazing. a web. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did, <laughs> what year did this come out? 1973. Did Did you just explain how to play X-Wing? Because I feel like you just explained how to play X-Wing. X-Wings use less thread, but otherwise it's <laughs> I mean, fairly Do similar. they? Do they? So yeah, does it have yeah. shield facings and everything, too? It has shield oh, facings and <laughs> all the things. And you have to power up particular shields and everything. Oh, my God. And it was based on the Starfleet <laughs> Technical Manual, which was available at the time and, and had all the all the ships, all the minis. That's amazing. They basically, he scraped off the serial numbers and made Alien Space Battle Manual. It has the same ship parameters, but they all look different silhouettes and things. Sure. But Legally it's actually distinct. a fun game. It, it sounds pretty, pretty awesome, honestly. And capricious. Instead yeah. of being a disc with two engines on the back, it's a triangle with two engines on <laughs> Wait, the back. Wait, is that actually what it looks like? That's a Starfleet Battle Manual. Oh. Yeah, it looks like Alien Space, but yeah, that's the game. Nice. No, I see it definitely the Enterprise. Oh, okay, yeah. That looks much nicer. I was say that's <laughs> that might be a fan made reprint. Yeah, I mean, it might be a fan made reprint, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's it's a similar. And now speaking of X Wing, they've got the Star Trek version of that. Oh yeah, Is that, uh, Ta- Star Trek Assault Attack Wing or no no yeah I think it's Attack I know it's wing. the same engine as like the Dragon Wing D and D one, which I don't well, think it's the same really as X Wing. Honestly, yeah, yeah really. it's it's just really weird when you're watching like the Enterprise do like barrel rolls and stuff. You're like, mm, I don't know, about <laughs> but that is guys. one of the granddaddies <laughs> of all those kind of simultaneous yeah. plan and move. So if this is based off the technical manual, did they get super nerdy? And like, your proton torpedo, photon torpedoes can only fire from your forward arcs. You can't fire. Yes. <laughs> the arcs are on the ship showing how, oh what possible areas are, are available for shots. Oh, man. I want the, the Enterprise can actually jettison debris with a nuke in it. <laughs> what? Listen, l- yeah, look um, at this image. This is the weapon arcs display for all oh, the weapons. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. <laughs> and it's colored. So it's like, oh, cool. These weapons can be in this, this arc. These weapons can be in this arc. Well, well, and your we'll shields can only that. be up in certain arcs. If oh, we behind. absolutely will. So, Joe, we're just going to update this next gen where everyone has a 360-degree firing arc anyway. Yeah, we're straight. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I've, I'm going to be the Enterprise-E. I've got 25 phaser strips, and I can fire wherever I want to. Perfect. Yeah. As we sit in a room talking about board games on a podcast. <laughs> yes, you're yes, not I'm wrong. I'm excluding <laughs> myself from this. <laughs> Embrace it. Embrace it. But promise, it's an awesome game. I have to drag it to his con. You have it? I think. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a stupid just question. Just question. Just found Got an original box set with, <laughs> I think uh, 1973 means I was probably, oh, wow, when it came out, I would be six. So I probably got it when I was eight or nine. So wait a minute, Frank. Does it have its original string? Yes. <laughs> of course it does. It didn't come with string. I had to buy fishing oh. lines. Oh, my God. Or steal some of Dad's. I can't. Sure. <laughs> I don't know how many pieces are lost because it was mine. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fair. <sighs> Love to see you explain that to your father. What do you need my fishing line for? <laughs> Good so speaking of science fiction classics of the 70s. Well, so the next game we're going to talk about is uh, one of the granddaddies of them all, uh, Dune. Uh, released in 1979 by Avalon Hill, designed by Bill Elbert, Jack Kittredge, and Peter Alotka. Sure. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. 
And um, so the piece of Dune that has this mechanic is the combat. So uh, Dune has this beautiful combat wheel where you can dial some number of troops. And then to that combat wheel, you'll add uh, an attack card, a defense card, and a leader. And you got, so therefore you're holding this, this wheel up and it's got a bunch of cards with it and it's all ready to go. Um, and you both individually dial that, individually dial the wheel, individually select all these cards, and you reveal them and resolve what happens. You know, there are uh, attack cards and weapon cards that cancel each other out, right? So there's a poison and a poison snooper. So if you play a poison, your opponent plays a poison snooper, then, hey, uh, you, great, that doesn't have any effect. If you play a projectile weapon and your opponent plays a shield, and doesn't have any effect. But if you play a weapon that's unblocked, you kill their leader, which leaders range in value from like two to six. And so if you kill their leader, then that is a, a potentially a large amount of their combat power. And then there's the lasgun. I was saying. And if, the, and if you play a shield and your opponent plays a lasgun, then everyone dies. <laughs> yeah, massive nuclear explosion. It's great. You also forgot the other component of this. Uh, at any point, one of your leaders could just be working for the other side. True, that's true. At the start of the game, everyone gets one trader of all the leaders that are in the game. Except for the Harkonnen. Except for the Harkonnen. Gets like a hand of they five. Four or five or something. <laughs> but if the person who played is your spy, you may just declare you have won and you get all their stuff and it's great. And I think this is important to be talking about because exciting news, they've recently reprinted this. Did we talk about that previously? Uh, we were yes, talking we about did. it before the you know, podcast. That but now it's actually come out. It is, right? it is yeah, out totally. and it is very pretty and it's the same classic game we all know and love. They've apparently got a sort of slightly lighter version of it in yeah, progress or coming out. Like really soon, like end of October okay. or by the time this airs anyway, it should be out. And it's close. It's four player. It still has the selection. Combat's the same. Mm -hmm. It does trim down from six to four players. Supposedly plays in under two hours, which is nice. I do like the whole bit with the combat will, because basically you're bidding how many of your troops you're willing to sacrifice to win this fight. Oh, yeah. So it's like whatever you dial, they're going to (laughs) die. They're going to die. But that's your combat strength. War. War never changes. changes. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Dune a lot because it's a real good game and we like it. Mm-hmm. And the new movie looks real good. Yep. Yep. But the combat mechanic is really great, right? Like it's really one of the things that makes the game stand out in a lot of ways. Like obviously all the powers also help it stand out, but the combat is so vicious mm-hmm. all <laughs> yeah. the time. Yeah. Like there is never, it, it makes you very, very nervous about entering the combat at all because it, combat is so dangerous, mm-hmm. which I really like. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say, where it's like, it makes being an aggressive player really risky which i think not many games in that genre do that very much because therein lies the fun whereas this it's like you could go into a combat and even if you win you still lose yeah plus you get that ability that says you know show me your leader is that the benedict yeah that's one of the things they have you know or the Atreides. It'd be the Atreides, Atreides because of Jessica. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Or you sorry, Strance them like, do you but have yeah. a defense? There's no. a lot of a lot of little uh, little details there. It's a lot of fun. I think between setting the dial for your number of troops plus choosing your leader plus choosing your item, it's like you're actually playing three simultaneous games mm-hmm. uh, of of role selection that all slightly interact with each other. Yeah, it's a good. one. Then on a completely different tack, one of the ones that was part of the joy of my childhood, started out in 1980. 
This is the Ace of Aces series, starting with the Ace of Aces Handy Rotary set. I love that band. <laughs> no, not Ace of Bases. Oh, yeah. okay. This is by Flying Buffalo, designed by Doug Coffin and Alfred Leonardi. Ace of Aces is the original and probably best known one. Yeah, that was Nova game design. That was strictly Alfred Leonardi. When you start mixing those oh, later yeah. ones, you got Doug Kaufman. Okay, all right. I was, I was foolishly going yeah. to my board game game. We'll see. Ace of Aces is a game of dogfighting in World War One era biplanes. And basically each player has a book that depicts their view of the other plane. And so I'm on page 67 and I am going to bank left and climb a certain amount of altitude. So I give the other player a page number. They decide what they're going to do. They give me a page number. We each flip to our corresponding pages and see where each other are. And if you're in my line of fire, I can shoot you. Huh. So it's very evocative, I think, as as these games go. Now, the ones I really got into were the Lost Worlds games. Oh, yeah. Which are your sort of fantasy duels. Uh, you know, the original set was, I think, human with sword and shield. And the skeleton. Skeleton with scimitar kind of thing. And it's the same thing where you see a sketch of your opponent and you choose, I'm going to strike low, strike high, thrust, parry, you know, all these things. And you get these things back and forth. And there were a lot of games in this series. Like, there are the Queen's Blade games from Japan, which are anime girls. Of course they are. <laughs> and they take a lot of battle damage in the way that anime girls oh, take no. battle damage. Oh, <laughs> You know what that actually, like, not not anime girls, this is not a segment. <laughs> you know what this game kind of makes me think about, though? Frank, a few weeks ago, you had showed us a new um, dungeon delving game that had, like, a picture book. And it would be like a picture of a treasure chest. You're talking about Drunagor. Oh, Drunagor. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of that mechanic in Drunagor, where you get a picture of a thing, and it has a whole bunch of different options on it. And then you pick one of them and go read that story. Oh, yeah, totally. And that's kind of what this sounds like. And I, I think I'm totally down for that. Yeah. Oh, and in this case, there's, you know, this many actions. Even Vlada kind of stepped in with the, uh, the Lost Worlds thing. There's an, a game called Arena that he's never re-released. Mm. Uh, it was actually done in English and only about 500 copies. And this is and uh, in Czech. Vlada Chivatel Vlada Chivatel of uh, Space Alert fame. Yep, totally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And but, it's interesting. Yeah. Then uh, there was like a Tunnels and Trolls license series of Lost totally, World yeah. games. And uh, there was a dinosaur fighting one. Yes. <laughs> there you go. It was, it was kind of catchy for a while. I actually dug up some of these books on eBay a while back. Well, actually, the ones I got were the Battletech mech fighting. <gasps> oh, yeah. Uh, now I have more. Jason's interest. <laughs> well, Wait a minute. Jason's now. already spending <laughs> oh, that money. Now like, we're uh, talking. How much did those cost you? <laughs> uh, not that much. I, I'll, yeah. I'll bring them by sometime I would love and we to can see experiment. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I hope they're like the, the pre before the, the lawsuit where they actually had the old uh, Mac. Uh, yeah, I'm in. pretty sure one of them was a, a Warhammer and one of them was a Marauder. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Now you have Jason's attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm awake now. Um, no, like, can, can you imagine what hell proofing and editing these things must have been? Because, like, if they're off by, like, they, a single number. And this is 70s, so computers are not. <laughs> yep, no, it was, it was done the old-fashioned way. But, yeah, there were a ton of Ace of Aces books. There were a number of sort of similar games that worked along the same way. Blue Max was well, one. Blue Max was is less overhead. It wasn't book driven. Overhead, everyone picks mm-hmm. their action. One turn ahead, which is why Blue Max didn't make it into the uh, multi-step plan mm. ahead planning, mm-hmm. pre-planning, mm. programming, yeah. yeah, program movement. And Screaming Eagles was actually, you know, Milton Bradley's take on this with uh, four jet fighters screaming around on a tiny little wrapping map. 
yeah, shooting like each other. Diamond map. Yeah, I, I, so I actually played that one. I got it from a thrift store when I was a kid and played it exactly once with my brother and he vowed never to play it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did not care for it's it. It's a good game in that Thunder Road kind mm-hmm. of era Milton Bradley. And it's cool, like the uh, even the jets, like you mentioned before, they can even tilt <laughs> to indicate yeah. which direction they're going. When you're banking. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm kind of surprised these haven't come back in some form because it's a neat portable system, probably because they're a pain to proofread and design and get all the pictures right. But it's very evocative of trying to figure out what your options are based on where your opponent is. and which They were a little limited. Ace of Aces, once you realize it and have played it a lot because you were a kid, you realize that it's a two, that you're two hexes apart from your one or two hexes apart from the other plane. And you can visualize it like you're looking at it overhead. And it becomes a lot easier to see how the movement happens. And all the moves are various hex moves. Mm. But still, I'm, uh, like you said, Brian, I'm shocked that with the resurgence resurgence that Pick Your Own Adventure Games seems to have had in recent years, Mm -hmm. this feels like it is very much in that same vein. The most interesting one, though, was the uh, shootout at the the gunfighter. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one actually has you chasing each other moving mm-hmm. around there's this town. whole mapped out town and you're <laughs> circling around to try and get the thing yeah do you start out on main street meeting at, at high, high, high noon. noon sure yeah obviously or maybe i think you may start out in buildings i can't remember but yeah you're hunting for each other you don't know where you, the other person is like i kind of dig that though because like then it's yeah. like the obvious first move is like i duck duck into the saloon and totally the other person shoots where i was standing and then they chase after me but ha, i'm already ready for them yeah so it feels like a different game from yeah. the other ones uh, it was a fun series would play again stronghold if you're listening get on it <laughs> well <laughs> yeah. we've got the mech warrior one that's Let's true do it. Yeah, true that's true so next up we jump another 10 years because because uh, nothing yeah. interesting in oh yeah a lot of things <laughs> happen. And we start talking about really kind of the first time we started seeing German games leaking into the U.S. with uh, Adele Fairflichstedt. Good done. Originally published by F.X. Schmid, designed by Klaus Teuber. In fact, the first American version was published by Avalon Hill in the U.S. in English, and it was still called Adele Fairflichstedt. You might know this as Hoity-Toity, Fair Means Are Foul by Hooker by Crook. What does Adele Verpflichtet translate to, Frank? Pretty much fair means or foul. Okay. Anyway, this game is a set collection game. Basically, what happens is you have a collection of related things that you're trying to collect based on colors, or you have to have a certain string of, of letters, and you show it. Yay. Except that the actual actions are, first, everyone just kind of looks at each other, looks into their souls, then chooses whether they're going to go to the auction house to get stuff, or go to the castle, which is where the exhibitions are. And uh, then all the people who are going to the auction basically buy a set of things at the auction. And then sit out as they watch the people go to the exhibition. At the exhibition, you get into your second little bluffing thing where some people exhibit their stuff. Some people play a thief and try to steal from other people's exhibitions. And then other people may play detectives to try to catch thieves and get basically raw points. And that's it. You get points for exhibiting, catching thieves, and uh, basically try to do stuff for about an hour. Yeah, this, it reminds me, and of course this came first, of, um, what was it, Master Thief, that game you had with the enormous boss, (laughs) and some people are trying to be thieves and some are detectives, and yeah. Yeah, and this was before Master Thief by quite a bit. And yeah, there's some similarities going there. Yeah, this is a mean game. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're stealing from people's collections. Yeah. You know, when we were first getting into German board games and, and even talking about Euro games today, everyone says, oh, well, you know, they're so pleasant and non-competitive and there's no player elimination. and there's no, no. They are vicious as hell. <laughs> you may not be eliminated, but you're going to be there to suffer. A lot of those early, and I call them German games as opposed mm-hmm. to Euros, right. they were simple, short, and light. Uh, no, they were nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there was a trend. It was less random, more fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. And Klaus Teuber did Fairness Saga is another unknown Klaus Teuber game that mm-hmm. was mean, mean, <laughs> mean. He just became known for Settlers, which is not that mean. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Settlers is not that yes, mean. Yes, it's, it's, it's a kind and gentle game compared to some of what he's got going on. Yeah. Our next game is 1998, published by Robinsberger and designed by Wolfgang Kramer. And Kramer did so many weird games, you know, aside from his classic Euros. A Magalon is a not is a surprisingly low luck racing game with gorgeous giant obelisk and pieces. You basically have to touch three different spots on the board and make it back to home. That's it. Except that Everything's in your way. These L-shaped walls, some pawns, the other people. And to do this, you have a set of action cards. And guess what? Everyone picks an action card and turns it up at the same time. Weird. What? Yeah. I, I just, yeah, bonkers. Okay. In this case, the order they go is determined on the card. So you always go from lowest to highest. And um, some of those actions might involve moving parts of the terrain, which may block other people. Huh. Or out of the way to let you move a piece, etc. I do enjoy games like that. Yeah, it's a very, very robo-rally, but since since your actions are Just predicted, one turn at a time. Though. Yeah, one turn at a time, and you know you can decide how you want to move it You know when it's your turn. Right. I was going to say, the description reminded me a little of Dragon Delta, or whatever the current name of it is now. I can't... Crossing the river on... Planets. Yeah, and that was that was more program movement, but again, because you had the three same turns. thing where you're moving terrain with five. five yeah, three. totally. But yeah, you're you're moving terrain to mess with other people. Yeah, and here you're just, basically it's one turn, and it's a pretty hardcore game. It's so vicious that when we play it, we need no table talk, <laughs> no suggesting moves to people. It's pretty obvious who's ahead. You can suggest, you know, he's ahead, he's got two of his things, but no, you should move that right there because the game would devolve into endless discussion of, in fact, I know some people who've played three-hour games of Magalon yeah. declared it the worst game ever made. <laughs> In fact, we had the, just shut up. <laughs> someone, you could see during some games, someone would open their mouth and go, shut up. <laughs> like two people are like, <laughs> don't even. <laughs> don't do it. It'll only lead to pain. Because it's that razor tricky. Because, yeah, a, con- a concerted group can easily make the game go on and on and on. Yeah, <laughs> I was recently at a, a gaming event where they managed to play a game of um, Unstable Unicorns for three hours. I'm like, kill me. Oh, Just man. kill me. Yeah. I would die. Wow. <laughs> we played an entire six-player game of Spirit Island before yeah. they finished that game. Oh, man. <laughs> that sounds like the people who like play Munchkin by the rules until someone wins. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I was going to say, is, is Unstable Unicorn one of those uh, pile on to the winner? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And then nobody wins. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, this is as well, but it's actually a really good game. Just no tabletop. <laughs> We, they should just call it Shut Up the Game. <laughs> like yeah. that. That should be in the rules. Oh, wow. And I've got the next one. So uh, our trifecta, also 1998, which apparently is the year of this kind of stuff, would be uh, Oliver Iglehalt's 
Flower Power, published by Glucksritter Spill, which me which is kind of like mercenary games. And this is not the flower power from Cosmos that everyone thinks of in the little square box. This is the wooden hand silkscreen box that I've got a bunch of games of that they did a, a Rigatoni Intriganti, which actually came with pasta as playing pieces. I don't know if it's still intact. Um, the components are fascinating. The components are They're fascinating. They are a product of their era. Oh, yeah. I, uh, oh, yep. All right. I, I, I accidentally but this is ate actually, all my game pieces. <laughs> this is actually one of the games made me want to talk to it because it is Prisoner's Dilemma. And... Prisoner's Dilemma is that kind Brian, of simultaneous. Brian is making such a well, no, I'm just thinking that's a whole episode right there. <laughs> I know, but it really comes into you know simultaneously selection. Hey, Frank, for for those listeners that may not know, not me, <laughs> I know, go, but for go, my go, listeners, go could you explain the pr- Prisoner's Dilemma? Do I remember the rules for Prisoner's Dilemma? Yeah, you you have two. two uh, no, I'm thinking of the uh, guards and prisoners. So classic Prisoner's Dilemma are basically. Two people were involved in a crime, and they're interviewed separately. So the rules are if A and B each betray the other, both of them serve two years in prison. If A betrays B, but B remains silent, A will be set free, B will serve three years in prison. If A remains silent, but B betrays A, A will serve three years in prison, and B will be set free. If they both remain silent, both of them will be convicted of a lesser crime and only serve one year in prison. The question of what you should do is a mathematical thing. I mean, yeah, that's, well, that's the foundation it's, it's of game It's paradoxical theory. because, I mean, if you do the sort of little diagram comparing what happens if I talk, what happens if he talks, your best bet is to betray the other person because it's got like the highest average utility or whatever it is. But the best outcome is for both of you to remain silent. So it's it's one of those weird little logical paradoxes that mathematicians love. Did oh, they make talking. like a game show out of this? I'm sure they yeah, did. Yeah, t- I mean, it's Prisoner's Dilemma. Yeah. It shows up in a, quite a few games. You could make something about it, but essentially that's, you know, one of the more popular blind choices. In this case, it's not really a traditional Prisoner's Dilemma. Yes, you have the one, two, three chart that is straight off the Prisoner's Dilemma thing. However, the object of the game is to have five or six flowers in various rounds. At the start of each round, each player chooses what order they're going to be in the final ranking. That could be one first through fifth in a five-player game. And they must be exactly in that position to score their flowers. If at the end of when someone crosses the finish line, if you're not in position, you just lose all your So each turn, someone chooses a person and then they go through the prisoner's dilemma game with them. Literally, that zero, (laughs) one, two, three. Huh. And uh, they each move forward that many spaces. But in this case, it's different because someone may not want to move. It is secret. So you're having to figure out, oh, I bet they die. I bet they want to be last. Oh, I want to be first. So I'll pick them. <laughs> They're also, you have to land on flower spaces. So the way to get flowers is to actually land on certain spaces on the board. So, you know, it's like, oh, wow, I want to move one. I bet he wants to move one. Yeah, okay, I'll pick you. And, and hopefully that'll work out really well. And you don't want to be first more than you want the one flower. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm now picturing just a roll and move where they've removed the dice and added the prisoner's dilemma. <laughs> the, thing is, the, the thing is, since you choose the player and you kind of see what their objective would be, it removes some of the choices from that prisoner's dilemma. Some of them are obviously, okay, mm-hmm. no one's definitely would do not going to choose that. <laughs> He'll definitely choose this one way or the other. And so actually picking the person becomes crucial. Huh. Unless you're wrong, in which case you just look at it and go, no, 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 no. Yeah. And it's a surprisingly tricky little. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> a game that requires a lot of thinking for basically a. 
20 <laughs> square <laughs> circle. But if, yeah, if, totally. If you lose all your flowers every time you get it wrong, like this game must last forever. <laughs> really? It's three or four rounds. Wow. It's surprisingly easy to get it because you kind of pick up on what people want. Mm-hmm. And since you get to choose your partner, it's not random and you're having to just decide. Kind of no. Except when you don't. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, it's a great little game and doesn't outstay its welcome. And it's, it feels just nerve wracking to play. That's what I like in my games, nerve wracking. Yeah. Oh, wow, we've got another nerve wracking, heinous screw. Yeah, it's, it, it's weird. The section that you're talking about are all the ones that are the really mean stress inducing. Yeah. 1999 Amigo Horst Reiner Rosner. Nick DeBone is not the bean. Not the bean after all those bean games we finally got a not the bean and not the bean is one of the meanest games i know yeah yeah pretty rude you have a bunch of cards four suits and basically there are one through ten a lovely little 2x and three in each suit horrible evil minus cards (laughs) basically for each suit you're going to get the sum of all your cards added up in points yay except (laughs) you know that minus card Mm -hmm. means times minus one you have two oh, minus no. cards. Yay, it's no. positive again. Oh my gosh. You have the minus and the times two. That's minus double. Yay. And there's also the zero card. So if you've gotten totally screwed and you can find one of those at the end, it's like, all right, at least this won't cost me anything. <laughs> it's the I give up Time card. Zero, Just, yeah. mm-hmm. And each round pretty much works the same. One person who has the bean takes it, puts it down on a card face up. Probably the worst piece of crap he can imagine from his hand. Sometimes it can be a good card. Most of the time it's, oh, I don't want that. And then everyone chooses a card simultaneously face down. And then they all turn them up. Guy with the bean looks around these wonderful cards that have been offered up to him, takes one. And that goes face up in front of him for scoring. The person whose card he just took chooses any one other card. Oh my God. But Mm. not the bean. Never the bean. The last person has to take the bean. bean. (laughs) (laughs) So at the first, the beginning of a round, it's like, oh, sure, whatever. And it doesn't feel like a game that you would bother. By about the third or fourth card, you realize, oh, if I take this, he's going to take that. And Jason gets the minus. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so the the amount of control you have over what people take downstream of you becomes really strong. And you could, like, hear people just giggle <laughs> maniacally as they take a card. Everyone looks go, oh, no. No, 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 no. It is a fun little vicious game. It, it, you know, it plays quick. There's malice in its heart. Yeah, I was thinking about a different game, uh, you know, one of the other ones, the Bonanza series, and then I realized it was this one. It's like, oh, yeah, no, this, is a, this is a good choice. Yeah. And uh, that same kind of trading mechanism where basically you pick one and the person who picked gets one Mm -hmm. shows up in Mari Nostrum, which is another amazing game Mm -hmm. as the way it trades, as well as a Mari Nostrum with the Conquest game name of, but same designer, Sarah Schlesinger. Roman game, right? Mm -hmm. I can remember seeing that at some conventions. Yeah, I I do always, uh, speaking of the Bonanza series, I do always love how much that throws people off because they see Bonanza and they're like, oh, it's a Wild West game. And then they pull it out and it's bean farming. (laughs) Really? It is an excellent bean farming. It is one of my favorite bean farming games, (laughs) to be honest. I would go so far as to say it is my favorite bean farming. Also your least favorite bean farming game? Yeah, I mean, yes. (laughs) But that, that field is very small. 
Well, you get another field as you play the game. Mm, I see what you Dorsen Frank did publish a game that is about being fun. (laughs) (laughs) Having different different types of beans in the field. It is a X or it's a N of two. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Where's that? It is now Mike's turn. Yeah. I'm noticing a pattern here. Apparently today I'm just going to talk all about queen games because our next game is uh, Wallenstein or Shogun. Um, These were done by Dirk Hen in 2002. Good Lord. Joe, these are basically the same game, right? Yes. How? how, (laughs) I don't know. These are basically the same game. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. Joe, I'm going to pass you the ball. And then Joe just watches it fly by. I just like how he answered it like he was at a congressional hearing. Yes. Yes. That's my recollection. Well, that is my recollection. Will, I, I have can't no memory of these events. <laughs> Joe, would you like to tell us a little bit about Wollenstein and Shogun? No. <laughs> that is not my recollection. <laughs> Uh, no, so each player will simultaneously decide how to distribute their 10 actions among their provinces, right? Each player selects one province card and places it face down on the chosen action of, of an, a board they have in front of them, right? You know, then you go through each of the each of the phases doing those actions across the table. Are the cubes soldiers? Yes. I clearly your yeah, cubes are yeah. your soldiers. So I clearly in, have in, no in, in recollection battle, of this You game. are putting a certain number of cubes into the cube tower. Both, both participants are putting a certain number of their cubes into the cube tower. Some of those cubes will come out the bottom. Uh, and the ones that come out the bottom are, you know, basically determine who the victor is and who, who's actually fought. And the rest of them are still in the tower where they may just randomly show up in some future fight. <laughs> they get lost. <laughs> and so the thing that makes, I think, uh, Wallenstein and Shogun interesting is that you blindly select the actions that you're taking. But if there is a conflict and the order matters, you then bid to determine who goes first. And you bid your number of soldiers. No, you bid uh, chests, the currency units. I uh, Nothing. I've got nothing on this game, apparently. I'm thinking of a completely different game when I volunteered to introduce this one. Right. So you, you each secretly bid for turn order if it, if it matters, right? I'm sorry. I'm now completely distracted trying to figure out what the hell what game, game we you were thinking <laughs> about. It was one where the cubes were the actions... You're not talking, thinking of Edge, Edge of Darkness, are you? It was Edge of Darkness, I was thinking. There are it's a very different out. game. It is a very different game. <laughs> Does Edge of Darkness have a, have a simultaneous play mechanic? I don't no. think so. It's got a cube tower. It's it got does a have a cube tower, tower though, Joe. It does have a cube. You're not wrong. It's you're got, not wrong. I would say, the cube tower. <laughs> yeah. This is not the cube tower episode. Clearly. <laughs> we should play more Edge of Darkness, though. I like that game. Okay. So, so uh, Mike, which would you recommend to a new player coming in? Wallenstein or Shogun? Joe? (laughs) That's not my recollection. (laughs) This is going to be a nightmare to edit. (laughs) Wallenstein's the better game. I think Wallenstein is the better game. I'm trying to think of like, what were some of the changes between them? Because other than theming. The map is slightly better in Wallenstein and Shogun has a better theme. That is Mm, the difference. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's... That's it. The map does it. actually. I but I like the European. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like I, I just like the feudal Japan setting better personally. Um, but they're functionally the same game, minus a very small number of changes in the map. Right. Okay. 
But the, those changes are pretty important, right? Like, it does make one of the players in Shogun, if you're playing five... Screwed. Screwed. They're, the five-player <laughs> Shogun actually doesn't work. One of the, yeah. You can only play it four. I will say, though, for a new player, probably Shogun. If for no other reason, it's probably the more readily available one. They did do a... Uh, second um, edition second of Wall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, that day? Okay. I didn't know that. Do your research, Mike. Oh, clear. Wow. Uh, uh, clearly. <laughs> yes, clearly. <exactly. laughs> and Shogun. <laughs> With jazz hands. So exactly. after that tragedy, let's move on to Joe, who did his freaking research. That, that is not my recollection. <laughs> um, so uh, next I want to talk about Cutthroat Caverns, which was released in 2007 by Yellow, designed by Kurt Kovit. And uh, so for those of you who haven't played Cutthroat Caverns, one of my favorite... Uh, just totally screw all of your friends. Um, in Cutthroat Caverns, you are trying to go through a series of encounters to get, and you're trying, as a group, you're trying to go through a series of encounters to get through this specific dungeon. And you want to win better than everyone else. Joe, you love win better games. I, this is one of the few win better games that I, I, I really, that really sings to me, mostly because it's, it's so mean. Like, there's such an inherent amount of meanness in this game. Yeah, it's not a co-op game or a co-op game with benefits. Right. It's funny because at the end of this, I'm about. so about to undercut everything Joe is saying. <laughs> story, an anecdotal story. At the start of every round, right, you'll you'll be given an initiative card, and then everyone will then secretly select what their action is going to be. And everyone has a specific class, and so your the, your your set of cards are different for each player. In essence, you, there's some base cards that are shared, and then you have some specific cards for your class. And you're you know you might be like, hey, shove a person in front of you, or your action might be stab a monster, or drink a potion or cast a spell and like depending on on player order and stuff you might cast a spell and have it do damage to the monster and also do damage to another player you know stuff like that happens when you're when you're uh, out, in the, heat out in of the battle. field you know it happens um it's so like you want to be the one who lays the killing blow on the monster cuz then you get the points right so it's a lot of like trying to correctly time when the monster will take enough damage to be defeated and there are some mechanics for like saying well oh hey i'm not gonna play this card anymore i'm gonna do something else it's just it's extremely mean and uh you know there's equal chance i think functionally that like you just won't make it through all the all the cutthroat cavern cards as, as making through all of them and having someone win so i think it's a cute little game so this was one of the early games that our group played, and uh, I've never played it because Joe and group friends played it without me and decided, no. Joe really likes this game. He I do not. He yeah. likes Many people, not like like Many people do not like this game. I am not yeah. against meanness in games. I mean, I played Diplomacy for the love of God. <laughs> I just did not enjoy this game. <laughs> yeah. Much like Ludliana that we talked about in the last episode, this is another one of those games that they, they played without me, and then the, everybody just kind of said, it's best if we don't. Mike, on your next birthday... We're going to have an all-day event where we play all the games you've never gotten to play, and you'll discover why we've never bothered to play them again. <laughs> It'll be so much fun! Yeah, this... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all we have to say about that. Now, Mike, we'd like you to talk about a game that I'm sure you remember in detail. 
Okay, so specifically, we're going to be talking about Sid Meier's Civilization, which yes. is not the new FFG not a new dawn. Version, not a new dawn. Uh, this was the 2010 release from Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Kevin Wilson. And uh, we're going to not talk about a lot of the game. It's, there is a lot of game there. Mm-hmm. We're going to zoom into the combat, though, which I think is one thing that really sets this game apart. So in the combat, you've got your traditional arrows, uh, vehicles, and yeah, it's basically ranged cavalry and infantry. Yeah, um, which the the cards that you use are in civilization fashion determined by your tech level, but they all fall into one of those three categories, um, and they all trump each other just like rock paper scissors i think it's uh cavalry beats infantry no cavalry beats arrows arrows beat footmen (laughs) footmen beat cavalry something like that but each one of those also has a random value and you you basically on your turn in the combat can place your card out to oppose an opponent's card or you can place it to either side of an opponent's card or your card to start a new front And basically, as you're playing out cards, they're trumping each other. And as they get trumped, you remove them from the field. And then once you've played all your cards, you look to see who's got the greater total. And that person is the victor. Having a superior tech level is obviously a big advantage, but there is still a certain amount of value in just having the right kind of attack. Right. Because like... As you increase your tech level, the numbers on the cards get bigger. So it's like if you've got airplanes, you rotate your cavalry card to airplanes. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be like a double digit number where if you're going up against somebody with horses, they're going to have like a six. I want to see that fight. Horses versus airplanes. (laughs) Yeah, man. And sometimes well, play the computer game. Sometimes the horses win, <laughs> and sometimes the horses because they're flying into strafe. They come in a little too low. They hit a mountain. Jason, just Google totally accurate battle simulator. <laughs> I'm sure someone or, or Jason just watch Die Hard Another Day, where he takes out a helicopter with a motorcycle or whatever. Oh. <laughs> Just saying, same premise. I'm pretty sure we've seen it happen in Sharknado. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Guarantee it. <laughs> um, but uh, like, that combat system, I don't think has been replicated very well any other place. No. And it's not so quite good. like that. It does. It does work pretty well to reflect the the tech advances and the the strategy of combat. So I I quite like. I like that game in general. Yeah, me too. We should play it. No, it sounds like a lot of work. Uh, it does. No, we're just going to play games that you've never played before that people are protecting you from from now on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. Good, yeah. good. Let's get Cutthroat Caverns down here. Let's, let's... I got to go. <laughs> Starting this off right. Ooh, next, everybody get your tweezers out for some Lunliana. <laughs> I know. Tweezers and microscopes, I think. Yeah. So next, we're going to talk about uh, Yomi, which was released in 2011 uh, by Serlin Games, designed by David Serlin. Um, and so... In general, fighting games are often thought of as kind of rock, paper, scissors. And the reason for that is in a fighting game, if you are going to punch someone and they go to throw you, they will throw you. But if you go to punch someone and they block, they will block you. 
But if they go to block and you throw them, then you will throw them. And so that's functionally what Yomi does. It also has supers, and supers defeat attacks and throws, but don't defeat blocks and dodges. For those of you following at home, that does mean that throws trumps two things. Throws do trump two things. That is true. Um, well, blocks or dodges are kind of functionally Spock. equivalent, is what they treat they treat it as. Um, and so that's and so in Yomi, right? You have a deck of fifty two cards because it's a full it's a full suited deck plus a joker, so it's fifty four. Um, and you'll have some some set of cards in your hand, and each of you will simultaneously play a card down. The added complication in the game is that each character is a little better at some things and a little worse at some things right so hey if you're playing the big rock guy you're really good at blocking and you're really good at punching but you're not great at throwing you're not great at dodging and so depending on given what you know about your character and, and your strengths and their strengths right you will pick a specific thing and you know it's very rock paper scissory as you're both selecting the specific card um, and then if you land a hit then you can follow up with a combo and potentially do a bunch of damage if you have the right set of cards in your hand so it's a very straightforward game. I mean, like it's it's super cute. The art's really really gorgeous on the on the set of playing cards. Yeah, this this is a game that I feel like I would like, but I also feel like I would have to get really into it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. And I don't have that kind of time in my life. So I have one set in essence, right? Which is I think uh, like I think it was like the first release of like the first big box, which is like a dozen characters. And I haven't gone past that because obviously, yes, you need to get really into it. There's a bunch of characters now, um, but it's it's a lot of fun, right? Like you play through it, and you definitely feel like you're you're in a fighting game for sure. So, which is what it's trying to emulate. So it does a good job success yeah it, it's quick it doesn't outlive its welcome it actually makes for a really good time filler game so if you've got two people and you're waiting for more people to arrive play a couple rounds of yomi yeah makes sense so speaking of other games that y'all never play with me let's talk <laughs> about a game that lived in my trunk for like three years it's got the the sun damage to to prove it too how do you leave your trunk open all the time why <laughs> no, do you get sun damage I, in your I, trunk i've oh, got a hatchback so it's got a big okay. old window in got it, it. Okay. so uh but this is uh, uh queen games uh as well produced in 2012 a game called edo um and edo was oh this is uh lewis maltz and stefan maltz this is a game that takes a uh, simultaneous selection and combines it with a worker placement. So you've got a uh, board that you set your selections into from left to right, and it's got enough space for three selections. But what you are plugging into your selection are these coaster tiles that are split into four different sides. So each side of your coaster, each edge of your coaster does a different thing. Like one side might give you money, one side might give you production, one side might let you move your workers around. Um, but you put them, plug them in, and then you also assign workers to each of those actions. So you're telling your opponents, or you're you're also deciding how many times you're going to take that action. Um, and you've got only so many workers, and then once everybody's done, you reveal it and execute your boards from left to right using the number of uh, workers you plugged into each action, which could also mean that some of your actions have no workers. So you aren't doing those things. It was a bluff. And that it gets a little interesting because like you might put two bluffs in their first one and all of your actions in the third one, which means you'll be doing that last, which means that you could take advantage of what other people have done to get higher profits. 
So when you say it's a bluff, so you can see what actions other people are using, but not the word. So then it's not really a bluff. It's not really a bluff, but it's a delaying tactic. Okay, How about that? I'll buy that. Because again, if somebody produces something, I believe those resources go into a space on the board, which okay. can then be harvested. And if there are extras left over from somebody else's production, you can take them. Okay. I would I would play that game if it wasn't sun damaged. <laughs> <laughs> but the sun damage just just it's, right it's out. right out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fairly straightforward game. It, it doesn't really try to break any molds, but I, I do really like the way that it, it has that blind selection with your placement of workers. I It's not really something that I've seen done in other games. Yeah, the fact that you can sort of choose your own order of operations is interesting. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it each of the action boards, which you can buy more of, have four different actions on it. So it's like, you've got a lot to choose from. You're not really ever blocked out of anything. Like you might be in other worker placements. I fell in love with the game, seeing it. And then I never got to play it. And I'm not bitter at all. Well, why don't you bring it to like a game board game gathering and get some suckers to play it with you? (laughs) I tried Joe. I guess you're not selling it well enough then. Clearly. You need to stop saying, oh, well, I guess you could play Edo with me then. Yeah, yeah, you, you you do kind of look a little desperate and sad when you just kind of hold it up and blink. You just kind of hold it, arm shaking from the cold. Maybe when you were in your, like, second or two and a half hours into Dragon Castles, you could have convinced people to move on to. That was such a mistake. Oh, you played a full game of Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition while you played Dragon Castles. It was amazing. Which was a really good, fun game, but should not have taken two hours. What? <laughs> mistakes were made. <laughs> were the mistakes in player selection? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. Just enough said. Ow. Ow. <laughs> Quick uh, 30 second review of uh, Dragon Castle. It's really great. It's like, what if Mahjong had a different game attached to it? But also, there is nothing but time vortex in that game. And uh, don't play with people who have analysis paralysis. Uh, that's just every game. I mean, this agreed, one agreed. especially so. Uh, play rock paper scissors instead. All right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. Let's play Edo. <laughs> so, on the idea of games that you can play in a reasonably short period of time, I've got Villainex, a game published in 2014 by Takahiro Amioka by his own Koge Koge Do publishing company picked up by Japan brand, which is why you might actually see it somewhere. This is a game which takes five to 10 minutes and it's a got screwed up premise. Basically you're mayors of rival villages talking one night at a bar like you do and uh, drinking heavily like you do. And then one of you boasts about how wonderful his village is and all of you get into a big argument that you'll show the others how good your village is. And victory points, blah, 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 et cetera. But basically what you do in this game is you play four cards and you score. That's the game. And in fact, the way you play four cards is pretty simple. The cards have two things on them, really. They have uh, two different collections of resources at the bottom. And then they have a scoring rule. There are four different commodities. And each commodity is worth zero points. Unless a scoring rule, you know, gives it a point or adds points to it. And what you do is you're handed a hand of six cards. You look at it, decide two of those cards are completely worthless. And then you lay your four cards face up. 
Everyone kind of looks very carefully over those four cards that you've laid face up. And then um, you take them back and you pick two of your four cards. So everyone knows at least what's in the pool of potential cards. You lay two of your cards face up and you have these little arrow cards you slot under them to indicate which of the two resource collections at the bottom you're actually picking. And then you turn them all up and score. (laughs) Okay. Everyone will play two cards at the end of the game and... uh, but everybody gets to see the pool. Everybody see you the pool. You know what might be out there and what the score potential scoring rules are. But only on two cards. Each card, there are two resources. There are two resources which are marked by a different card you lay on. And so it's like you're just going like deeper and deeper into a dichotomous chart where it's like, okay, cool. Here's the pool. Now I'm going to pick two of those. And then within those two, I'm going to pick two. Yeah. But the rules on both of those cards still apply, right? Yeah. Okay. The, rules on bo- the rules on all the cards gotcha. apply. So basically, you know, you might have grains worth five points for each grain. Oh, but someone played a card that said if there's more than eight grain by all players, grains worth nothing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if I'm building a castle, therefore stones worth five. Mm-hmm. Forests, I think if there's forests then it makes wood worth progressively more depending on how many forests there are. Right. Huh. Et cetera. And that's it. It's entire kind of really cute. weird little bluffing settling game in like five to 10 minutes. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So cool. Yeah. That's uh, villain X. It's I, I, when I read the title, I assumed it was as in a villain rather than in a yeah. village. Yeah. So um, I was expecting something but different. It's but. as minimal a game as I've ever seen. Huh. I mean, more minimal than rock, paper, scissors. Odds and evens? <laughs> Good point. Okay. Well, it looks like I'm going to be bringing up the rear for the most part on this, uh, yeah, Jason, this particular yeah, episode oh, from Jason, you today. Right, the rest of us are just going to go on a, a short break. Sure, Jason's yeah, going to take coffee. y'all yeah, through the We're going to go play some Edo. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start bringing Dragon Castles to torment you now, Mike. It was a perfectly good game I'm sorry i'll bring dragon castles in court uh, <laughs> oh god <Okay>. curses <laughs> i brought the courting expansion let's play oh, it expands the amount of time the game takes to play will he be drunk probably <laughs> oh god well, okay jason i may need to refer to you to see how much of that i need to edit <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't listen to our podcast okay that's fair. <laughs> so yeah so uh, to, to bring things into kind of the more uh like, uh, let's say, sci-fi realm. Uh, what I'm going to talk about is Not Alone, uh, released in 2016 by Corax Games, developed by, I guess, Ghislaine Masson? Sure. At, we're going for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, the, it's a one-versus-many game. Uh, one person is playing the creature uh, that's the only, apparently, resident on this planet that the hunted, the other players, have crash-landed on. These hunted players are basically trying to live long enough that a rescue ship will reach them and take them off the planet. Where the uh, blind selection comes in is the creature has a deck of cards and they have a like a poker chip that indicates where the creature is going to be hunting for those survivors. Now the players, the the hunted, the other players have their own um, they they have their own decks of cards that will indicate which location on the planet they're going to go hide in. And the locations all have special abilities. Some of them will let you take cards back into your hand because you're playing them out in front of you so that the creature has a better idea of where you might be going next. Uh, some of them will let you get new cards, brand new cards with new abilities. Some will put out a, a distress beacon that will move the ship a little faster to you. And it's basically, uh, you're trying to basically uh, wait out that rescue 
rescue ship and doing whatever you can to avoid being detected by the creature because every time you get hit by the creature, um, you can, I can't remember what they call it, stress or something like that. But if you get hit too many times by the, the, the creature, the creature's track will advance faster. So if the creature overtakes you, the creature wins. If you outlast it, the, um, the players get rescued. And so everyone's putting down their location cards face down. The creature places its poker chip on one of those locations on the map. And then you all flip. And, and normally that's when you go. And someone is very sad. <laughs> As, uh, especially when you see like four people get caught at once. And you're like, oh, no, that's really bad. Uh, it's one of those games where I find that the higher the player count, the easier it becomes for the creature. Because the chances of it catching someone Somebody's is gonna be much there, higher. Yeah. But uh, it's a really fun game. Very simple. It's great at, I mean... I like it at large player counts because it, it leads to a lot of really fun experiences where people are just always like groaning every time the reveal happens. And there's like two separate expansions with basically just more locations with that kind of add a little bit of um, variety to the different things you can do. My biggest problem with this game is that the name does absolutely nothing to evoke what you're doing in the game. And every time somebody's like, let's play not alone, I'm just like, what game is that? Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, it's such a weird misnomer. Mike, just start calling it Predator the game. Right. I mean, yeah, that, 100%. That, <laughs> would, that would sell it even more. Or Predator, not even trademark. Like, if you just called it Predator. I don't right, like, like games like Human Punishment don't have that problem. You know what you're getting. <laughs> human Punishment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I, I agree. It's it's kind of a marketing miss. But uh, outside of that, yeah. I, I really enjoy the game. Um, and it's... Maybe they should change the name to, oh, God, I hope I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, even that would do a better job than not alone. I think it's a negative in there that just always, uh, eh. Yeah. I, I, and it's not like the box art helps. <laughs> no, because the box art is just like the creature's eyes above the title, and it's like neon purple and blue. How about maybe it's quiet? Yeah. <laughs> Too quiet. <laughs> that would also work. Just like, it is a really great game, and it. It does play, like, doesn't it have a pretty high player count? I think, I think it plays eight. up to eight. Yeah. yeah. And I've played it at eight, and it's super fun. Like, yep. <laughs> it's, I think the, the creature has a much higher chance of winning in those yep. player counts. But, uh, yeah, it's one I've had a lot of success with people that aren't necessarily hardcore gamers. But it's easy to teach, and they, they like just, the creature can do a lot of things to screw with people, <laughs> which is really fun. Because a lot of the cards will be like, okay, you get this different poker chip. And now it's like roulette. You get to put it on two different locations. And now the potential for catching them is much higher. Or mm-hmm. you cancel out the abilities of the of the uh, location. Uh, it's funny watching people's like where their minds are at. It's like <laughs> four people jump on the thing that'll help move the track ahead. And the monster's like, obviously, I'm going to go there. It just seems way too tempting. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not very expensive. It's readily available on like Amazon and stuff. So yeah, easy to pick up. Uh, and the next one is one we've actually talked about before. One we've talked uh, in previous multiple times in previous ones, and it's I think it's the only cooperative one we have in our entire list. Uh, and that's Gloomhaven from 2017. Some Cephalofair games by Isaac Childress. Uh, really, the like like when Mike was talking about um, the Civilization game, it's really the combat. Where this uh, where this blind selection comes in. Essentially, it's a cooperative deck, uh, or excuse me, a cooperative dungeon crawler, and you're you know usually going into a location and murder all the things. That's usually your goal, like ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah. And the way that you plan out your actions is you've got a deck of cards that are unique to your character. They change as you level up. The cards themselves have different initiative values on them, and each of the players will be selecting two cards. Um, they'll have one card that's going to trigger first, and another card that's going to trigger second. And you can't tell your your other fellow players 
how quickly you're going, like what your actual number is. I'm going as fast as I can. Which, depending on who you are, may be extremely fast or not very. I'm going human fast, guys. Right, exactly. Fine. <laughs> fine. Or, or when you play with someone who's not doesn't have like a, a good feeling for how the speeds are. I think I'm going kind of fast. Well, maybe I'm not going that fast. I've gone faster <laughs> than I'm going. Oh, my God. Just, oh, okay. Whatever. We're just going to play it. But they all get revealed, and you're like... Oh, you realize if you go before me, you're going to block oh, us. Oh, and- is that what you meant by fast? <laughs> yeah, I see. Yes. <laughs> Your definition of fast is much different than mine. <laughs> and yeah, usually chaos ensues. But it it it, it matters because it will determine like if you kill a monster before it activates or you know where you're going to be positioned when the monsters <laughs> all trigger and, and murder the guy that's super squishy. And it has like specific secrecy rules, right? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think of it like uh, Battlestar secrecy rules, which you can say high or low. Yep. Right. I'm going to go fast or slow, and that's a that's all you're allowed to say. You're not allowed to say numbers. Mm-hmm. You can look significantly at people. You can though. look significantly right. at people, but like you can, it has very specific rules. Where like, hey, you can say I'm going fast or I'm going slow, and that's about it. So yeah. the the yeah. more you give information wise, the easier the game becomes right. in general. So mm-hmm. I think as a table you need to set those limits for yourself because it is kind of just, I think in the rule book is written. It just says, don't talk about whole numbers. No, yeah. You can give yeah. general advice. I mean, I, I kind of like keeping it as vague as possible because it's kind of interesting because over the course of the campaign, you'll change what characters you're playing and in the group. And it's like, as you, spend more time with a certain set of characters you'll tend to know all right well when joe's character says he's going fast he's going really really fast when jason says he's going fast he's eh, okay fast for um jason. you know and then and then jason's character retires and he brings in a new one and then everybody's a little uncertain until we we all get a feel for that new character yep. well and then there are also some characters where it's like i'm going as slow as i can it's a 16 right exactly <laughs> I've I've used up all of my slow cards. Now it's just all <laughs> adrenaline. All I'm I'm on cocaine. At <laughs> it, it really is good, and I I also really like the way that the cards allow you to, if things don't go your way in initiative order, you can always switch how the cards you played are being used, and mm-hmm. it's like. Well, this isn't nearly as effective as what I wanted to do, but it's more effective than what ended up happening. Yes. So my original plan was to move four and do a big attack, but now that's not even possible anymore. So I'm going to move two and pick up some coins. Yeah, that's- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I am looking forward to Frosthaven oh, and God, even Jaws of so much. Like, I'm, I'm really hoping they do a lot more complexity with some of the decks because Gloomhaven was fun. Some of the characters were very singularly singularly oriented into yeah. what they could do. Have, have you seen the, the characters they've talked about for Frosthaven yet? I've tried not like to. The, the introductory characters are kind of on par with the more complicated characters good. of the original game. I, so I you th- are going to get your wish. I think that is good. And like I know we started Jaws of the Lion, and even those characters mm-hmm. are... I think decently complicated enough to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think he. I think one thing that Isaac definitely learned as we're moving to Frosthaven is like where the sweet spot is for it being complicated. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for his audience, elementalist. <clears throat> Let's go back to some sci-fi and talk about terraforming Mars: The Ares Expedition that just released, actually. And you and Joe actually got to play it like literally last, last night. night. Yep. yep. Yeah, we I was sure very did. sad that I when missed someone that. was busy with Dragon Castles. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
Yeah, so Ares Expedition released this year, 2021, from Firax, Firax Games? Frix Games. Because uh, the designer's name, yeah. Gotcha. Uh, designed by Sidney Engelstein, uh, Jacob Frixilius. Frixilius? Sure. Yeah. And Nick Little. Uh, and this is, so it's based in the same, I don't even want to call it universe of terraforming Mars, but it's very similar, right? The idea is you're developing Mars, you're terraforming it, you're trying to represent different corporations, and you're trying to get the most terraforming points or whatever they call them, which are basically just victory points, and you gain them by increasing the oxygen, increasing the temperature, planting trees, <laughs> and uh, uh, creating oceans. And just like terraforming Mars, you do that by playing down cards into your tableau. Some of those cards have actions that can give you other things. You generate resources like heat and um, plants and income, and you get discounts through things like you know, you know metal and star, whatever the the titanium. I think it was called in the mm-hmm. original game. Star metal. Yeah. Star. Star metal. <laughs> the Conan cartoon game. Um, but. Where the difference comes in is each player has a deck of five cards that represent the action that they are going to the, to take on their turn. Well, the action that the table will be taking that's true. on their turn. That's true. Mm. Yes, yeah, so that's an important distinction. Everybody will benefit from this action. You yourself will get a bonus action on top. Or so bonus sort benefit. of Puerto Rico-ish. Very Puerto Rico-ish. But everyone's doing this blindly, right? You, you put your card face down, everyone makes a selection, and... We never had a single round the entire game where all four of us picked a different one. That was Not true. once. That's true. It was wow. always, at, at most, it was three, and sometimes it was like two, or like, ugh. Hmm. And unlike regular Terraforming Mars, you know, you can't just purchase things and activate all your actions every round and generate resources and, and um, like plants and such every round. If someone didn't pick that action, you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So you can have like a turn where you're like, well, I really want to play this building, but oh. Surely and, someone will. <laughs> precisely. Or, or worse, I'm, I'm going to play this production thing because surely someone's going to do, or excuse me, uh, this thing where I want to build something. Surely someone's going to make a, you know, a production round so I can actually make my money back. Oh, oh no, they didn't do that. Oh, this is bad for me now. <laughs> and so it, there's a lot of almost guessing what your opponents are going to do and then hoping that they do the actions that you want so you get freed up to get the extra benefit from the one that you really want to run. Um, it was interesting. I liked how different it was. Um, I'd say it's a simplified version of Terraforming Mars and certainly much faster. Um, I think it's different enough to kind of stand on its own, but I can see why people who love Terraforming Mars would not be thrilled with it because you you can't really build out the massive engine that you can in Terraforming Mars um, and you're not doing like okay, on my turn, I'm going to activate this action, this action, then this one, then this one, this one, this one. <laughs> this one is much more constrained um, to the point where it's like, <laughs> my corporation's ability was, you get a discount on Earth tags. I didn't see an Earth tag the whole game. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I'm trying to think. Did vanilla terraforming Mars have that similar problem? Of what? Not seeing the tags? Well, like, of just, like... I kind of I'm I'm trying to think if I'm confusing this with vanilla um seven wonders where it was just like here's a grab bag of random that you have you're spending your game just trying to get some control over I think to some extent which is why prelude is so good because mm-hmm. it really gives you a it spins up the first few turns which are always just building your engine right and also it gives you a direction well but also like vanilla terraforming mars is just here's a bunch of cards like there is no drafting there is oh, none no, of those drafting. Things. there's initially drafting it, it, at the very beginning the starter game that the, everyone should do right. yes exactly <laughs> but like i remember some of those early games we played where i'd just get like 
wow, here's a hand of four cards and three of them are unplayable oh, because oh, of yeah. the current state yeah. of the universe. That, that can still happen. Um, it's a, I feel like there's less of that. It's weird. Like everything in this game, there's less less of things. Like there seem to be less tags. There seem to be less... Um, there's definitely less income. You had a lot less money to work with. I don't know. I only had the one play, so I can't I mean, say that's, definitively. That's not really surprising because a there's you know it doesn't have any expansions, so you don't have a lot of that stuff in there. Sure. And also, it is a card based game, so it's designed to simplify down to some extent. Um, I back this one as well. I have it in my shelf. I haven't broken it out yet, but I would like to play it because the terraforming Mars games are good. I'd be more curious to hear a comparison with Roll for the Galaxy. Uh, that, I think someone made that someone comparison. constantly compared yeah. to Roll for the Galaxy because <laughs> we're playing. It's like, oh, this is Roll for Terraforming Mars, mm-hmm. like constantly. So yeah, that and then I've only played it once, but even the Seven Wonders Duel, where it has that same like, here's almost that game, but just in a pared down, mm-hmm. take off all the fluff. Yeah, strip it to the bones. There's there's been a lot of those recently, you know, sort of remakes of classics. Um the um not that recent, but the Junta card game is apparently uh quite good because it gets rid of a lot of the time consuming coup nonsense. Yeah. And gets Which it is down why we did not like that game. You are correct. <laughs> so huh. Yeah, looking forward to that. I actually like the Junta Dice game, which I think does the oh, same thing. Okay, yeah. cool. Or Junta Viva El Presidente. Okay. I really like Roll Through the Ages as a alternative to through the ages. Uh yeah, they're, they're very really. different games. Yes. But Roll yeah. through the ages is no era Era's a lot better than Roll through the ages. Hmm. Era. ERA? Haven't heard it's of that one. Basically Roll through the ages but everyone gets their own freaking dice for Ooh. one thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually play at the same time. I'm which, in. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an advanced with these cathedral oh, gorgeous you're about the medieval pieces. era one. Yeah, era, yeah medieval that age. Yeah, I like that one. It's a lot. Roll it's Roll through the ages, advance. Make a little li- like little city on your pegboard. It's great. Okay. Sold. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was our list of um, simultaneous selection and rock, paper, scissors type games that we either like or disliked in interesting ways uh, and felt like talking about. As always, we would like to hear about your favorites. Uh, what have we obviously forgotten and overlooked? What have we gotten wrong? Uh, other than Mike not remembering how... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Shogun, Shogun or slash Wallenstein work. I mean, but to be fair, I don't know how they work. Uh, I, like again, it baffles me that I was just completely transposing a different game onto it because they both have a dice tower in it. Happens to the best. <laughs> or should we spend more time talking about games that no one's ever heard of? Well, See, I mean, we, that's that's the Frank Brandon podcast. <laughs> I mean, that goes right along with the Games Nobody Will Play With Me podcast. Right, on. exactly. Yeah, really. The, the real shame is that, you know, we've certainly mentioned games that people haven't heard of, but a lot of times those are games that people can then go out and buy. Um, most of the ones that you bring up are like, well, yeah, there were 300 copies made in Lithuanian, but I happened to snag one at a convention. Yeah, anytime Frank mentions silk screening, I'm like, no. <laughs> nope. But, you know, from just the picture on Board Game Geek, you could make a copy of that freaking game. Sure. That's not, yeah, it's copy. not that yeah. And it probably looked better than the one. <laughs> it definitely shows, uh, it shows its handcraftiness. Yeah. Uh, so as always, uh, we would love to hear from you on Facebook or Twitter or any of those social media things. Uh, we would love to get reviews on iTunes. If you haven't put one in, it helps us a lot to get more people listening. Uh, there are in fact a surprising number of people listening to this for which we are constantly grateful. Thank you. Your guys are the best. Don't call our listeners gross, Joe. We're in their ear holes right now. 
No, no, no. He means we have at least a gross of listeners. Yeah, oh, exactly. Okay. exactly. A measurement. Yeah, exactly. 144. <laughs> Got it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we're going to shut up now. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs> can only Bye. Be Bye. 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 We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin McLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at ascentofboardgames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. Your cards go from one to five. Maybe zero to five. I should check that and make sure. I'll also say your cards go from zero to five, and I'll edit in whichever one is correct.